0: Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming out today. My name is Dan Albrecht. I am with Leopardo. Uh, th- I want to thank my co-chairs, Jeanette Outlaw with OFS Brands and Howard Wender with Strata Real Estate Services. Um, remember, as I always say, today's program is being podcast. Um, I wanted to reiterate our extensive library. I think we're approaching 50 now. If you go to our the Chicago Chapter website and look at some of the programs that we put together, you can see a, a, a very extensive library of the programs that we have recorded over the last uh, three and a half or so years. Um, next month, we got, some, uh, we got some interesting topics. We got, uh, we're gonna call it get a hold of it, which is get a hold of IT, and we're gonna study, looking, take a look at uh, mission critical facilities, real estate technologies, data centers, and whatnot. We have our friend Paul Himes from Himes and Associates flying in from the East Coast to moderate uh, our esteemed panel. In addition, we have a lot of other great programs throughout the year. We're going to take a look at a global perspective on real estate, um, taking a look at what's happening in other countries, what can we learn, what have they done, what's different there versus here. Um, Also, we're going to try again on the healthcare real estate topic, and then Made in the USA related to manufacturing here in the U.S., as well as we know that's one of the hot topics, one of the hot industries that we know of. Today's program, The Big Thaw Out, obviously perfect timing with, uh, with the spring right around the corner. Our speakers today, we have uh, John Abuya, John Prisbola, and Jim Sotos. And to announce these fellows, we have John uh, Prisbola, first vice president of the firm and serves as the regional manager of the Chicago downtown office of Marcus & Millichap. John is one of the most accomplished regional managers in the firm, having managed the Newport Beach, California office from 1999 through 2007 and then taking responsibility for the Chicago downtown office. Jim Sotos is an Associate Director of Marcus and Millichap Capital Corporation, one of the nation's largest mortgage brokerage firms. Jim has more than 26 years of mortgage banking experience and brings a great depth of knowledge in structuring multifamily, retail, office, and industrial debt products, as well as other special purpose asset classes. And last but not least, John Abuya is Vice President of Investments with the firm and serves as one of the select senior directors of Marcus Millichap's National Office and Industrial Properties Group. Specializing in office, medical office, industrial and large retail offerings, John has personally closed more than 230 investment transactions, totaling over 1.4 billion over his 24-year career to date. Gentlemen, welcome. And how about a round of applause for our speakers?
1: a lot. Well, thank you, everybody. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to be here. Um, my name, again, is, uh, is John Abuya. Um, I've been in the business for 24 years, but really focusing on investment sales uh, for the last 10, 11 years uh, with Marcus and Millichap here in Chicago. And it's certainly a privilege, Dan. We appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak with you. Um, John Prisbilla, our regional director for Chicago uh, Downtown, also has kind of an illustrious career with the firm. Uh, He brought the Newport Beach office over a period of about nine and a half, ten years to one of the top performing offices. We have 74 offices in the company, 1,700 investment brokers. We're the largest real estate investment brokerage platform in the country. And Jim Sotos with 26 years of mortgage banking experience um, is going to talk about capital markets. So Dan asked us to talk a little bit about the investment real estate outlook for 2011 as well as uh, the capital stack, um, capital financing. And so... We thought it'd be kind of a good mix. I'm a guy that's on the street. I'm on the phone, you know, 12 hours a day, every day, talking to clients, to buyers and sellers of investment properties. Uh, And Jim is is in another office in Chicago, helping me to get the transactions financed once we do have them together, which is uh, probably one of the more difficult aspects of closing deals right now. And then uh, John uh, oversees the entire process. Thanks. I appreciate the the volume. So... go to the first slide second one if you could. The big question that we, we get all the time is you know have we seen the bottom of the market And I can tell you from my perspective we have seen the bottom you know it's, it's at the end of the presentation that's why yeah just go to the first. we, we have over the last 30 days seen more investor activity, we have in the last, I want to say, three quarters combined. Okay, sure. Hello? Then we have for the last three quarters uh, combined. Um, we have, I have more offers personally in the pipeline right now for office and industrial transactions than I have uh, over the last two years combined. So there's a frenetic amount of activity Andrew Saffretto, uh who is our senior analyst for the office, has, uh, what, 27 market positioning and pricing analysis just sitting on his desk right now waiting uh, to complete. There, the news is very good, and that is, yes, we absolutely have hit bottom, uh, and now uh, we're hoping the market, uh, if not coming rushing back, is at least going to be coming back incrementally. So I think we'll start, because Dan asked us to, with an overview of the capital markets. So Jim, why don't you uh, start for a few slides and, and talk about where the money is coming from, because from my perspective, this is some of the better news.
2: Um, you know, when John asked me to uh, speak today, honestly, I was a little apprehensive at first, because the topic of the capital markets has been a real problem over the past uh, couple of years, actually starting probably like mid-2008, as everybody knows, the capital markets basically collapsed. Uh, you saw a lot of bank failures. Uh, the CMBS market where commercial loans were being securitized and sold in the secondary market came to an absolute collapse. And getting financing on any kind of a product was was very challenging. Um, and every time I would speak in front of a group in all honesty, you know, lending was always the, the sour topic and I felt like I needed to get a straight check when I left the room because there was a lot of horror stories out there. The good news is that the capital markets is coming back. Start um, started out basically by kind of going through different property types. Uh, the recovery has been led by, for the most part, multifamily. Uh, what you've seen over the last uh, probably 12 to 24 months is that, you know, a lot of apartment owners basically have uh, increased their occupancy, decreased their concessions, and the availability of cheap debt, when I say cheap debt, you know, Fannie and Freddie, Freddie Mac, were uh, still lending out there. And a lot of buyers were taking advantage of the attractive debt that was out there. To uh, give you an example, they were getting 10-year money, 30-year amortization schedules, non-recourse, and, you know, rates were running in the, the mid to upper four. So you got a lot of buyers really chasing that, that kind of financing. So the, the recovery started by multifamily, and what we're starting to see right now, is slowly but surely, you know, a lot of banks were competing for that product type. They weren't winning the, that type of business because they just couldn't compete with the overall structure of the government agency. So, little by little, they're starting to to go into other product types. Over the last six months, I've seen lenders now starting to chase some office deals, some retail deals, uh, industrial properties, whereas a year ago, they were just very challenging properties to, to finance. Um, lender confidence is definitely... Um, improved over the last six to 12 months. Uh, most of the lenders right now have worked out their problematic loans. Uh, they've either, for the most part, some of them have extended them if they thought there was hope at the end of the day, but a lot of the banks have just basically recapitalized and you know they're back out there looking for, for new business. So uh, the improvement definitely has has happened over the last uh, six to 12 months. At Marcus and Milchap Capital Corp, just to give you an idea, Between the first half of 2010 and the second half of 2010, our originations across the country have tripled the second half uh, of the year, and our closings have pretty much followed suit, uh, tripled compared to the first half of 2010. So all the signs are are pointing in the right direction. As far as capital markets goes, what you're starting to see, uh, if you see here, is credit spreads are starting to decline. What I mean by that is what you've seen over the past 12 to 24 months is that lender spreads have started to decline. Going back in the mid-2008, and I'll show you a graph as we, we go forward here, you know, the, when the CMBS markets just started coming back to, to a small degree, credit spreads were running five, 600 basis points over treasuries, which was a pretty astronomical amount. Over the last couple of years, and especially over the last six months, you've seen those spreads narrow down. A significant amount to uh, now maybe 200, 225 basis points over the the 10-year Treasury. So th- that's uh, uh, definitely a step in the right direction. And those guys are out there looking for all types of property transactions. Now, obviously, they're chasing the best of class, you know, A quality properties, B plus properties, in, in you know, in the primary markets. But slowly but surely, you're going to start seeing that expand as well. Um, historically low interest rates have also helped. What's uh, what's happening, and, and especially in my business, I'm sure everybody else is that that's in the lending market, is that the low interest rates that we've been seeing over the last couple years has brought a lot of discretionary refinances into the market. And what I mean by discretionary is uh, borrowers that had term on their uh, on their loans; they may have had two, three years of term left on their loan, but they were definitely looking to take advantage of the low interest rates that we were seeing over the past couple years. So they were going to the market uh, to refinance way ahead of schedule, and that's part of the process that's uh, increased our our business activity levels. Uh, As far as capital sources throughout the year, uh, that's a completely different uh, structure from what we've seen a year ago where it was just typically your, your local banks and maybe a few life insurance companies uh, that has increased significantly over the last uh, 6 to 12 months where you've seen a lot of the regional banks, the national banks have come back into play, and uh, as well as life insurance companies. They have really increased their allocations. Most life insurance companies will put an allocation out at the beginning of the year, and once they hit that, they're pretty much shut down until the following year. Most of the smaller to mid-sized life insurance companies have really come back in 2000, Ten and especially in 2011, with increased allocations, and I mean they're out there looking for for good uh, for good lending. So everything points uh, in the right direction. There's no question about that.
3: Um, what I'd like to say on that too is, is some content on it. Uh, amongst the three offices in Chicago, um, last year we closed about 275, 300 transactions. Um, the first half of the year, our average. Uh, transaction size was about 1.5 million dollars, which is is fine. Um, But a lot of that was all cash. (coughs) Um, Buyers coming in, buying properties all cash. Um, Or it was a local lender that had a relationship with uh, the the borrower. Um, And in in some cases also it was assumable debt. At the end of the year, last year, our average deal size uh, jumped up to 4.4 million dollars. which was positive um, and, and one of the reasons why is because we did see uh, more lenders entering the marketplace and really stepping out uh, towards that risk um, as, as well as our buyers did um, taking more risk uh, in the marketplace versus in the first half of the year it was a lot of single tenant assets that were closing um, you know with credit tenants long term leases um, you know stability uh, good quality assets and in, in good locations um, so when we see some of the B and C product uh, selling and the deal size getting larger and obviously more buyers entering the marketplace, um, you know, we felt that, hey, we kind of hit the bottom and now you know, we're trying to uh, move in the right direction. And, I, and I, I see that continuing into the first quarter. So. Another thing that really encouraged me
1: is, uh, actually Jim's director, Bill Wine, uh, was at the Mortgage Bankers Association meeting in California three weeks ago. It's an annual meeting. There are 21 investment banks that have committed to coming back into the market with CMBS debt this calendar year. He said, it's as if the last three years didn't even happen. Now, granted, they're not going to come back in the same volume with product, but they're absolutely coming back into the
3: market and and wanting to make transactions happen. And we we talked with our uh, Detroit office, and uh, they also came back from the Mortgage Broker Association meeting, and there were lenders that said, we want to lend this year on multi-tenant retail in Detroit, and you know, you go, are you kidding me? You know, um, but they're saying, bring it, you know, bring it, bring it out. We want to get back into the market now, whether they do or not. You know, we'll see. But um, again, there's there's some momentum moving forward, which uh, which is good.
2: Um, the second graph isn't intended to show how um, market sentiment really mm-hmm. affects the interest rate, and. In our industry, basically, the benchmark index that most lenders look at on a daily basis is the 10-year treasury index. And what this graph will do, basically, it will kind of give you a synopsis of the volatility of the index over the course of the year and how that basically affected interest rates. So if you take a look at the beginning part of the spring of 2010, you know, the 10-year treasury was trading right about 380, and it was pretty stagnant there for the previous six months, you know, the 380, 410, 420 range – and what you'll see from the late spring to the probably the early part of the fall, you've seen that Treasury just take a complete nosedive as all the market indicators were coming out. Consumer confidence was at an all-time low. Retail sales were at an all-time low. We had the oil spill down in the Gulf. So a lot of those factors contribute to that drop in the Treasury to the low point where we hit about 230 in about, I believe, it was October, early November And that really stemmed a lot of refinances, like I was talking about before. People were really taking advantage of that and trying to get into the marketplace sooner than later just to take advantage of those low rates. And subsequently, since probably about November when the second round of QE2 happened, uh, which was basically intended to to starve off deflation, you saw rates start to move up a little bit. And you saw the 10 year Treasury run up from about uh, 230 to about 380 in a period of about two months, which is a pretty major upswing. And it's been sitting at that 380 level up until just recently with the uh, crisis down in the Middle East. You saw that drop a little bit. Now we're back to that 350 level. But what that equated to was a, a splurge of refinances coming into the marketplace during the stretch. And even at this point in time with the recent run-up, you know, rates are still at pretty historic low levels, and borrowers are really just trying to take advantage of that as much as possible. next graph here is just kind of a study that our research department did you know we we call all our different uh, lenders on a uh, on a frequent basis just kind of get an overall uh track of where they're at are they lending what they see the markets do and are they in are they in the lending game or are they going to continue to stay out and what this basically shows is if you take a look like the early part of 2009 um what you saw basically was almost all the lenders across the board were tightening their their loan standards either they were not lending at all for the most part or if they were lending it was at a very very conservative level and if what you see here and that equates basically not only from the uh, the local banks and the national banks but even the uh, CMBS lenders you see that the consumer as consumer's consumer confidence has gained you see that a lot of the banks are starting to basically Uh, loosen up some of their lending standards and you see the graph there basically going from consumer loans to cni loans to commercial loans where you see the graph kind of trending downward so again that's a good sign that the lending market is really starting to come back is it as aggressive as it used to be in the 2004-2007 range it's definitely not but it's definitely a step in the right direction so from that standpoint it's, it's definitely positive news The next uh, chart here basically shows uh, CMBS spreads, what John was talking about before. A lot of the activity in our business back in the 2004 to 2007 range was the CMBS market. And the CMBS market, as I said before, was where lenders would basically pool loans together, securitize them, and sell them in the secondary market. It was incredible financing. It was high leverage financing. Borrowers were getting long-term uh, debt, 10 years, and uh, for the most part, they were all non-recourse transactions, which a lot of the borrowers really liked. And that really stemmed our business uh, substantially in the early, 2000, I said, 2004 through 2007 range. And when that market collapsed, you saw a complete meltdown for the most part in the, in the lending game. I mean, most of those guys back in 2007 just closed their doors overnight and they were out of business, and uh, that really hurt the lending platform quite a bit. And subsequently, over the last year and a half, that market is slowly but surely starting to come back. And what this graph is basically intended to do, it just shows how spreads going back in the early 2009 range were at an all-time high. And the reason for that is there was just no confidence in the marketplace that these uh, lenders can securitize the loans and sell them in the secondary market. So to offset the risk, they were just pricing their spreads at an incredibly high level. And the result of that was basically nothing was getting done. I mean, no one was taking that kind of a, of a spread. But what you'll see here is over the last uh, year and a half, those spreads have continuously declined. And they're at the level right now where a lot of these CMBS lenders are definitely back in the game. Uh, they're out there, as John was saying, looking for for business. And um, they're very confident that they can get these loans securitized and sold in the secondary market. And the result of that is the declining spreads. Um, This here just gives you an idea, as I was saying before, the level of the CMBS market. You'll see, again, in the 2004 to 2007 range, uh, we basically hit at the peak of the market. We hit about a $250 billion um, uh, CMBS market. I mean, that was just incredible. And the following year in 2008, 2009, we basically hit below 50 and almost to about $10 in 2009. I mean, that just goes to show you how uh, drastic that collapse was. And if uh, if you take a look in 2010, 2011, what you've seen is slowly but surely that market did come back in 2010. It resulted in about a $10 billion um, uh, market. And in 2011, we're expecting that to be anywhere from 40 maybe to about a $50 billion market. So, again, it just gives you an indication as to where that market is at. And, again, as John was saying before, we now have, uh, last count, we've had over two dozen CMBS lenders that have really come back in the market that I get calls all the time right now, they're out there looking for business, whereas a year and a half, two years ago, uh, they, would, they just basically didn't exist. So, again, that's a positive sign that the lending market is slowly but surely Kind of getting out uh, underneath the uh, the troubled times. What size deals, Jim? Are they? the size deals basically are uh, they start out at about ten billion and above or ten million and above? No one really wanted to look at anything less than that. What's interesting over the last couple months, I've seen some of the smaller players now take a look at uh, anywhere from one to five million dollar deals, which is a, really a step in the right direction. Again, they're very picky as to what they'll take. They want high <laughs> quality assets in you know primary markets, but Again, it's, just, it's a slowly but surely, we're just, it's a step in the right direction. So, um, but for the most part, they, they want to see $10 and above. I mean, that's kind of the common, common theme amongst most of those guys. If they're going to put a lot of time and effort in these deals, uh, it's hard for them to make any money if they're doing a million-dollar deal. So, This chart here basically shows the volume of activity amongst different types of lenders over the past couple years. If you'll see in 2009, 2010, the uh, regional banks uh, saw a pretty good increase, about a 19% increase in volumes of loans originated. And that was a lot of the result from TARP money that the banks received. Uh, it gave them ability to basically reinvest that money, put it out in the lending market, basically, and, uh, and make a higher spread than their alternative uh, investment vehicles. So you saw that market increase pretty drastically. Um, Debt assumptions went down a little bit. Uh, there weren't as many of those out there in 2010. You saw the life insurance companies make a pretty good comeback. You saw that go from, I believe, 5 to about 8%, and we expect that to probably even double in 2011. We think that market may be somewhere, maybe 15% or so, give or take. And uh, CMBS market went from about 5% to 9%. And we expect that in 2011 to to also make a pretty significant uh, comeback as well. In terms of who are the active lenders, I'll just kind of give you a little breakdown of that as we talked about. On the uh, apartment side of the equation, Fannie, Freddie, and HUD have been the major players over the past couple years, and we expect that to continue. Um, Commercial banks, obviously, have have come back slowly but surely. A lot of those guys are, are back in the marketplace looking for Um, good lending uh, alternatives life insurance companies are definitely back in the ball game like I said before they've had a uh, pretty substantial increase in allocations as to what they can put out in uh, in financing and also finance companies the GEs of the world have come back where they had pretty much gone underwater for the past couple years they just weren't around but they definitely started to come back as well so we expect that market to, to pick up as well as far as the, what we expect rates to do in the next probably 6 to 12 months, we think the 10-year treasury will probably stay flat in that 3.5 to, to 4 range. There may be a little bit of upward pressure uh, on that a little bit, but we think that all in all, we're gonna, you know, the government's going to try to keep lending at hopefully historically low levels just to, to, to continue the pace that we've been seeing. Q2 obviously would limit the upward pressure. We've seen a little bit already, as I was saying before, the 10-year treasury has gone up to some degree, uh, but we think with uh, Q2 that it's going to keep that treasury somewhere in that 3.5 to to 4 range over the next uh, 6 to 12 months. As far as investment strategies, um, what I did here, I just broke down typically who the players are going to be depending on loan sizes. So, for example, if you're looking to finance uh, a deal today anywhere from a million to $10 million. The players on that are gonna be basically your uh, regional banks, it's gonna be your life insurance companies, and uh, maybe some of the CMBS players will start to play in that market. Typical financing for that type of a deal will be anywhere from 65 maybe to 70% leverage. 25 uh, year amortization schedule's pretty typical. And for the most part, uh, those are gonna be recourse transactions. As you get up to the medium-sized transaction, medium-meaning 10 to $12 million $10 to $20 million deals, that's where you're going to see the CMBS players playing a big part in that financing. Obviously, the life insurance companies and the finance companies are definitely going to be playing in that arena. And that's typically going to be a little bit of a higher leverage scenario, maybe 70 to 75% leverage. You're going to get a little better term, 5- to 10-year terms typically. And for the most part, those will be non-recourse transactions, which is really what a lot of borrowers like in that in that price range. And when you get to $20 million above, pretty much the same scenario. You're going to see a lot of the, the uh, CMBS players still playing in that, as well as a life insurance companies. So that kind of gives you a recap of the lending market. I really do believe we've seen the worst of it all. I mean, I started my lending career when rates were about 18% in the Jimmy Carter administration, and... I thought that was pretty tough back then. In all honesty, it was nothing compared to what we went to the last couple of years. So um, I'm, pos- I'm overly optimistic that we've seen the worst of it. I mean, I've seen my business grow quite a bit over the last six to 12 months, and I think we're gonna continue to see that over the course of the next couple of years as well. So, Thank you. Thanks, Jim. And by the way, procedurally, We'll come back. We have uh,
1: probably we're about halfway through the slides. We'll keep it moving, and then we'd like to leave you know 10-15 minutes if you like just for specific questions for us. Um, are the lavaliers working? Okay. Okay,
3: John. Okay. Um, I first want to apologize to anyone that was from Michigan. I wasn't. Uh, but that commercial—if you guys have seen that commercial on TV—it seems to be helping a lot. Um, at least that's what they say in the Detroit market. So. Um, here uh, are some slides regarding, um, you know, we, we look at um, how the markets are recovering. And really, if you look at the four core uh, product types, uh, apartments are, uh, are definitely leading the, uh, the comeback. Uh, in our opinion, uh, which we do a lot of apartment transactions, that product type uh, did, did very well during the downturn. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the vacancies right now for apartments, they're at... The uh, the lowest level, even in the in the heydays. Uh, now, what we're not seeing um, on the apartment side, and in talking with a lot of our apartment investors, is they are you know relatively full in terms of occupancy. They're not they're not raising rents. You know they're not they're not trying to gouge the the tenants. But um, you know they're happy, obviously, with uh, their occupancy. The other asset classes on the commercial side, uh, retail, office, and industrial, we are seeing uh, them stabilize. Uh, in some cases get a little better. Uh, And and really one of the things that we look at on on those uh, product types is what's happening with concessions, rent relief um, with the tenants, um, and we're seeing that start to uh, get out of the marketplace. So um, in terms of the uh, investment trends, you know, I I saw last year is really a tale of two cities where, um, you know, I looked at locally uh, the C uh, CBD market in office buildings here over a million dollars. There were uh, 95 transactions in office properties sold last year in CBD Chicago. Uh, six of the it was 2.4 billion dollars in volume. Six of those transactions accounted for 1.8 billion dollars of that trans- of that those sales. So there were some pretty big uh, properties that that traded uh, last year in Chicago. Uh, the remaining 89, whatever, 90 uh, transactions, you know, were below 10 million bucks. So, um, you know, we, we definitely have seen um, both of them, you know, trade, but um, you obviously see a lot of the, in the news, you know, the bigger deals. In terms of the pricing trends, um, if you look at all of the product types, um, really the the high point of the market um, was 07. Um, in retail, um, it was 05. So, um, you know, we do have some time, you know, left to, to, to increase but uh, every product type saw a decrease from the high point uh, in their markets of 25%, you know, 22, 25% or better. Um, so you know, did, we definitely did take a hit. Um, this just shows the, the pricing breakdown from 1 to 10 million, 10 to 20, and 20 plus. Um, what we're seeing here right now is the activity in the one to $10 million uh, property uh, range. There are buyers for that asset class, uh, for, that, for that pricing. Uh, there are lenders, as Jim said, that are, uh, are active in that. Um, so we definitely are seeing um, you know, that being active. But on the $20 million, because of some of these bigger properties that have sold uh, you know, across the United States in solid markets like Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Boston, um, you know, that's, it's definitely, that, there was a good year last year for some of that A quality type of, uh, type of product.
1: The other thing I'd say about this slide, which I think is dramatic, is if, if you look at the, the yellow bar, which is last year's volume, um, extrapolated through the end of the year, in terms of increase, if you look at 2009 and 2008, vis-a-vis 2007, the year before, look at the huge dip, reduction in activity, and then there was a little bit of less of a reduction in activity, but still a reduction beyond 2008 and 2009. It was really last year, in 2010, that we saw a huge swing on the investment side to the positive. Now granted, not all of those sales um, were positioned for profit. I mean, there was, there was a lot of uh, taking of properties that unfortunately had to be sold. But nonetheless, at least volume is back, and I can tell you, I think the, the bar for 2011 is going to dwarf that number uh, from 2010. The other issue, though, too, we're seeing right now is, well, let me put it to you this way, sellers are selling for one of reasons. Either they have to sell, there's a myriad of reasons for that, it's usually debt-related or refinance-related, or they wanna sell because they have so much equity tied up in their real estate, so much cash, that they feel they could do a lot more with it right now. My average investor is telling me they, they feel there is a generational opportunity to create wealth over the next 15 years in commercial real estate, on decisions that are going to be struck within the next 12 to 24 months. Now you have to have some cash or know someone who has some cash to do that, but there's also a flight to quality and, and it, what's interesting is quality in terms of an investment property not only includes creditworthiness of tenant, not only includes length of lease, not only includes A-class buildings, but it also reflects the markets and, and if you look across research relative to cities within the United States, you're gonna see a huge demarcation between primary markets, secondary markets, and tertiary markets, which is precisely what this slide indicates. And you know, I have to say though, that in, in addition to that, there's a tremendous opportunity for an investor to find a much higher yield in a secondary or tertiary market, if they're willing to take a little bit more risk on those markets. And from my opinion, the thing that's changed the most I've seen, not so much from the lenders, Jim, but from the investors, they're willing to take more risk this year on markets and on product type and on pro forma. Not saying they're gonna take less yield. They want the same amount of yield, but they're willing to take a little bit less risk in terms of how the pro forma for that property, which tells me they're convinced that if we're not in an upswing, at least we've certainly uh, seen the bottom. This is a pretty simple slide. It it shows core inflation uh, and it shows the 10-year treasury and, you know, I mean, to see, you know, core inflation having averages for 4.41. I mean, you know, we're down below 2% and the 10-year Treasury averaging 721 and look at how low it is now. I mean, we're, we're still only 60 basis points above the all-time low for the 10-year, which that means is we're, we're in a historically low interest rate environment. And as an investor, you're looking really ultimately at two numbers. You're looking at your debt constant and you're looking at your cap rate, which will define you. You're looking at the spread. And what this slide shows, and the next slide will show, um, is the spread between the cap rate and the interest rate is such that you can make a lot of money right now and yield if you invest in the right properties. Jim, this is one that maybe you can talk to. It just, it's in, in terms of delinquency rates by, by lender type, um, CMBS versus life versus yeah. banks.
2: Sure. What this uh, shows here basically is, if you look at uh, the major lenders, you talk about CMBS, life insurance company, and banks. It just shows you an indication of where delinquencies were at, where they went, and kind of where they're starting to stabilize right now. Um, If you take a look on the CMBS side, that's definitely the higher range right now. They've experienced loans; uh, their delinquency rate is somewhere around, I believe, seven and a half to about eight percent, and it's starting to stabilize. So. A lot of the loans that were being done, as I was saying before, in the 2004, 5, 6, 7 range, some of those are starting to come home to roost right now. Their term may be coming up. It's time to get refinanced, and they're just underwater. They're not performing well. So that's why you start to see that uh, market uh, pretty much hit the the peak of about 8%. As far as life insurance companies go, they were never really that much of a risk taker, uh, never have been, probably never will be. So you're seeing that pretty much level off. I mean, it's not even less than 1% for the most part, and that's going to be the same going forward. I mean, they just didn't put a lot of risky loans out there for the most part. You know, they were lower leverage transactions. They were shorter amortization, so the debt got paid down a little quicker. So you're, you're, you just don't see that kind of delinquency rate. Uh, and the banks were somewhere in between. They are running somewhere in that 4% range, uh, and for the most part that's flattened out right now for maybe 45 to 5% is what – most of the banks have, have seen in terms of delinquency rates. So, the, um, the the point behind that is I think we've seen the worst of it again. The most of the lenders have worked out a lot of their troubled loans. They've either put them back to market, as John said. They've had some short sales in certain cases. Uh, in some cases, if they thought there was an end game to 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 the property, they would give the borrower an extension, give them some time to work it out. So, but all in all, we never really saw the Real estate, the troubled real estate that a lot of the investors thought out there that would go to the marketplace that they were able to, to pounce on for cents on a dollar that never really materialized, and uh, so the opportunity wasn't there for a lot of the investors to, to cash in on that.
3: So. Yeah, last year uh, we did uh, probably around 300 what we call BOVs, or you know where the lender had asked us to um, you know value the asset. Um, we probably listed. 20 of those and sold maybe 15 of those so um, there wasn't a lot of that other shoe dropping like like you know everyone kind of had talked about um, but uh, we are seeing uh, the lender assisted sales the pre foreclosure sales the short sales where the lender and the borrower are working towards you know a solution on a sale asset or on a sale uh, transaction or uh, like Jim said is they're working out um, some restructuring of the loan. So. We did a lot of work on that. I think more will come this year uh, on that side, but not as much as everyone had expected. This is just kind of a trivia
1: fact. It's an interesting slide to see that more than half of all the $2.4 trillion in, in commercial mortgage that outstanding are, are private banks, followed by CMBS, of course, um, You know, four or five years ago, as well then as, the, uh, as the life companies. This is what I was talking about before. And for me, this is, as an investment broker, talking to my clients, this is probably the most significant slide for me. As of the end of last year, beginning of this quarter, there was a 470 basis point spread between debt constant on the average loan and cap rate on the average commercial property. Now, you can divide this up between asset classes, property sectors, tertiary, primary, secondary. But the point is this. There is a historic opportunity to capture spread right now. And there are a lot of investors that realize it. And if, if they have any ability right now to access capital, uh, they're taking advantage of that. And then you look at commercial property yields. Um, we talk about this a lot. I mean, our, our typical private client, um, and probably 70% of our, our business is private client vis a vis institutional business. They have about a third of their portfolio in fixed income, about a third of their portfolio in equity, and about a third of their portfolio in, in, uh, in cash bearing real estate. And if you look even across the asset classes between apartment, office, retail, industrial, The only other asset class out there that's readily available, unless you get into some really obtuse derivatives, are triple C bonds. Well, I mean, you know what the credit rating and the risk is behind a triple C bond. In my mind, there is a a much lower risk profile in buying a quality piece of investment real estate than there is in buying a triple C bond, an Argentinian bond, or some bond that you don't even have any knowledge over. Not only that you have bricks and mortar, you have hard assets, and if you understand just a little bit more than the next guy about the asset class that you own, you have a pretty good strategic advantage right now that you can control. Uh, this is the other good thing uh, about Chicago. Uh, now this, by the way, is a, is a national-based compilation of data, but if you look at uh, new completions, that is schedule building, and actually the gray box to the right is through 2012. These were project starts, and for you guys in construction, Dan, I don't know how how far ahead you even track, but this slide is through this year and next year. You can see the apartment office, retail, and industrial. Um, The fact that there are a relatively low number of starts and annual completions is really gonna help us once demand returns. And I'm not an apartment guy, but a, a lot of a fascinating thing for me to see happen is some of my clients who own office and industrial retail happen to own apartments in Lincoln Park in the north side of Chicago. There were people buying, you know, back in five, six, 2007, apartment buildings in some of these prevalent north side Chicago communities to convert them to condominiums. They spent a lot of money converting them, they couldn't sell them. Now they're being sold back to the apartment owners who are reconverting them to rental properties. Other beautiful, brand new rental properties, uh, and then they're in a very strategic uh, position now to, to maximize those. This is relative to office buildings only. If you look at vacancy rates, they are beginning to stabilize. Um, and if you look at the vacancy rate on average across the country, an office of about sixteen and a half percent, vis-a-vis uh, the new completions through 2012 of only about three, two and a half, three percent you can see that those two will converge pretty rapidly, which means that we're not too overbuilt on the office side. What is happening, though, uh, for owners, unfortunately, of Class C office product, is a lot of the the tenants that were in Class C product are able to move up into Class B buildings for the same amount of rent they were paying before. A lot of the Class B tenants are able to move up into Class A office buildings for the same amount of rent they were paying before. So you see the Class C office kind of struggling behind a little bit in terms of um, um, availability. Um, This is a pretty uh, simple slide, it's just kind of interesting, U.S. employment change by sector. If you look at these industries, you look at the total gain between professional education, trade, leisure, manufacturing, natural resources and mining, especially towards uh, natural gas. I mean, you see a pretty positive uh, uptick in employment. It's interesting to see uh, where the losses were. They were in financial activities, construction, in government, believe it or not, and in uh, information services. Uh, this is another, just I think an interesting slide. If you look at the S&P 500 stock price index and corporate profits, more so the corporate profits, relative to where you see the office effective rents. What this tells me is, companies are becoming more profitable moving into 2011 and the office rents are declining. So relative to how that affects me as an office investment broker, it's telling me that, that Class A, Class B, and even Class C office space is becoming more affordable Uh, I was talking to uh, a broker, uh, a money broker, last week who confirmed there's over two trillion dollars in unencumbered cash on the balance sheets of corporate America today. That could be spent tonight, later today or tomorrow. The only thing holding that money back right now is basically psychology and perception. So the good news is, especially in the office and industrial sectors where you see the absorption of the product. As soon as companies are convinced again that it's safe to spend the cash that they already have apportioned, I think we're going to see it come back pretty quickly. Uh, industrial absorption, you guys in the, in the audience here that I know that focus on industrial, uh, I think even better news there. Uh, we're less overbuilt. I know most of the construction on industrial around the country that's been done has been uh, no longer obviously on a speculative basis, but on a build-a-suit basis. And you know, talking to the tenant rep brokers and to the developers that do industrial, they're all telling me they've got a full pipeline that's coming back. They're being careful, unless they have the build-the-suit signed and the numbers work, they're not even attempting to start right now. But activity is coming back. John, you can probably talk about
3: apartments. Uh, s- same thing with apartments. Very, very strong recovery, uh, quick recovery. Um, but again, the, the lack of building um, and completions, you know, in the past and in the pipeline, uh, is really going to help all the asset classes come back, but especially for the apartment side. Um, this was interesting. We, you know, we looked at, you know, the apartment, you know, market renter um, breakdown, and, and most of the renters are the 20 to 34 year olds. And during the uh, downturn uh, or the recession, um, you know, they lost some jobs. They didn't lead uh, the market in uh, in losing the jobs, but they were it was a, a considerable uh, amount, 37 percent. But then what we've seen is the job gains in 2010 that John shared with that previous slide or, or a couple of slides before. 65 uh, percent of them. So. You know, they're definitely leading um, the charge back into the market for jobs. And, again, what we saw with a lot of um, our uh, clients is that age group um, went back and, and, um, you know, moved back in with mom and dad um, because they were out of work. Uh, They needed to get back out there and and get, uh, you know, a job. And now we're seeing them enter the workforce. So uh, they're now going to be leaving uh, you know, mom and dad for uh, an apartment. So, uh, And here's the U.S. population of the 20 to 30, that demographic is, is, uh, is huge. So the apartment market is, uh, is definitely one that, um, and, and I will say this from a transactional standpoint, we didn't see a lot of owners in apartments sell last year. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I didn't blame them. You know, they didn't need to. They were, they were performing, uh, the assets were doing fine. Um, so, we, we see more um, of that. Hopefully, we, we will see more of that this year. But uh, that definitely was a product type that a lot of our investors said, hey, I'm just going to hold. Let me see what happens uh, in the marketplace. When you look at retail,
1: uh, we just have like two or three sides left here, and then we'll, we'll take some questions if, if you like. But retail, fortunately, is beginning to restabilize as well. Um, and again, it's due to falling construction or lack of construction or even of ability to construct. Um, but if you look at retail vacancy rate by property age, again, you talk about demographic. It's not just location, primary versus secondary versus tertiary. If you look at the new retail properties, less than three years old, well obviously those were the buildings that were developed, the power centers, the regional centers, the strip centers, the single-tenant deals. Uh, right in the middle of the financial crisis, you know, the average vacancy right now is upwards of about 15, 16 percent. Ironically, if you see essentially the, the, the most next occupied asset class um, is the three to six-year-old um, or the seven to ten, eleven-year-old product and it's typically second or third generation tenants. Rarely in an initial multi-tenant retail development will you see the right tenant mix, but once you get to the second or third generation, you usually have a pretty stabilized asset. And then of course the older properties, it's just like the B and C class buildings. Retail tenants are able to go to the newer properties, the more prestigious properties, the better locations. Um, and then finally, if you look at retail sales, the good news here um, is we do see retail sales recovering, um, you know, minus essentially auto and gas. Um, but that, that is gonna be the static pressure now, uh, the oil prices that are, we believe, are gonna be hindering discretionary spending in retail um, moving forward. Um, and if you, if you look uh, retail uh, sales growth by category, it's interesting for me to see um, that a lot of the, the miscellaneous sporting good apparel, uh, health and building materials, those people that are do-it-yourselfers and trying to get things done more for themselves are actually uh, leading the way uh, in terms of gains. So Dan, I, I hope we, we accomplished what you wanted us to. And just to give you kind of a 10,000 foot view, I'd like to bring to your attention, we have a very detailed um, 2011 Economic Outlook report that I left with all of you. My contact information is in the top left-hand corner. We also have very de- detailed market reports on every asset class. If you need any more information, honestly, all of us up here, we're not transactional brokers as much as we are relationship brokers. If there's anything we can do to help educate you in anything you're doing relative to investment real estate, I mean this sincerely, we're happy to take the time and do that, build a business relationship and help you in any way that we can. And with that being said, if there are any specific questions, we're more than happy to take them at this point. Uh, Brian Hayes with um, Becknell Development. my question is really simply: What's what's different this time? <laughs> you talk about all the money coming back. I've heard uh, you know various markets cap rates that are you know, you know make you think nothing ever happened. Um, what what is why is it going to be different this time? What uh, what what makes it uh, you know what's the lesson learned? Maybe all three of us should answer. Jim could probably answer in terms of uh, level of underwriting is yeah, one thing. Uh,
2: from from an underwriting standpoint, what you've seen. Uh, yes, the market has come back. Lenders have come back. They've definitely learned their lesson. Underwriting has become much more challenging, much more realistic than it was four years ago. Um, many lenders were underwriting on pro forma. They were underwriting on uh, without considering any vacancy factor. You know, when the market may have had a 7 or 8% vacancy factor, they didn't care to include anything at all. This time around, it's a little bit different. I mean, lenders are looking at the overall risk of the transaction, where the is located. They're looking at demographics very carefully. They're looking at, at the end of the day, what's my land value gonna be on this thing, you know, when my loan comes due. So they're trying to structure loans a lot more within a realistic guide than what they were back in 2004 through 2007. They're, in some cases, keeping the amortization down to a 25-year amortization whereas they were giving 10-year interest only before. And, and there was actually zero pay down the debt. I mean, it just didn't make any sense at all. But the competition was so fierce at that point that lenders had to do that to win the deal. And this time around, at least the feedback that I'm getting from most of the lenders is they don't care what the competition is doing. They, if they see a perceived risk in the deal... and Uh, and the buyer doesn't wanna comply with the terms that they're willing to throw out, they're just saying, go to the next guy, I'm not interested. So a little bit more realistic underwriting, I think, this go around than what we saw over the past uh, five to 10 years.
1: And my answer is about 10 seconds, Brian, and and that is that if you can get a better yield in real estate than you can in some of these other alternatives for a lesser risk, using less leverage this time, and that's what's changed with most of my clients, is they're content with 60% loan to value because the folks that came into this downturn with 50 or 60% loan of value, most of them are doing just fine. It was the folks that leveraged 85, 95, 100, 110%. They were actually taking work equity reserves out of closings. We've learned the lesson, and you're right, no more pro forma, no more phantom income, no more, no more optimism. It's all realism in terms of the way we're underwriting. But even if you do that, there's still a huge return relative to, uh, to the other investment opportunities.
2: And the other issue I would say, too, is lenders are now more focused on structuring a reserve so if they see a potential risk in, let's say, 2013 where you have some leasing risk, you have a, t- a few tenants that are rolling, you know, a couple years ago, three, four years, they didn't care. I mean, it just it made zero difference to them whatsoever. Today they're going to say, we're going to structure a reserve. You know, we may start out coming out of the gate for a couple hundred thousand dollars. We may do it on a monthly basis, but there will be a reserve structure. So if that tenant does leave, uh, there's something there for the lender to, to hang their hat on. And uh, there's no way, and at least right now, that lenders are backing off of that. I mean, they will structure some kind of reserve for any kind of risk that they see going forward.
3: And then lastly, on the investor side, um, you know, there, the, uh, the buy strategy, hold strategy, we're seeing that change to uh, adding value to the asset, um, not just riding the market and then selling it. Um, so hold time is a lot longer than before, which was 12 months to 24 months. Now it's, you know, coming back to that normal market. So... We're seeing that change.
1: The one exception I see to that is, is you know, there are a lot of folks that bought a building at, at $10 that had to sell it at $3 because they had no choice. Well, now there's a lot of cash buyers out there buying it for $3 knowing that if they do hold it for long enough, it will be worth $10 again. But if you can reduce basis and make cash flow work and make the debt equation work at a lower basis, all of a sudden these deals, they make sense already. The market corrected for you. If you're fortunate enough to be there with the $3. Any more questions? We have time for Yes, sir.
0: Yeah, very good presentation, guys. Thanks. For a very difficult subject. Um, <clears throat> if you were to counsel a client to sell or to hold, you made a pretty compelling statement, gener- Generation Wealth, that stuck with me for the next 18 months. So if you've got a great asset that's got great credit tenants, maybe one tenant, in a great location class a trophy do you sell it or do you hold it to make that generation how multi?
1: how stabilized is it percentage-wise stabilized 100 so 100 yeah, yeah. What do you um do? there so here's my thought um there's probably not going to be a better time to sell it um as you have if you if that if those leases are burning off which naturally they are and, and if it's a multi-tenant deal you've got a little bit more flexibility one
0: tenant one single lease. tenant 15 then, years
1: then the property, in my opinion, will likely be getting less valuable moving forward for one of two reasons. You've got lease term burning off and you have interest rates that will be rising. And I mean, it's an indirect correlation, but it's a real correlation. As money becomes more expensive, in order to maintain the equivalent yield on sale, a buyer is going to be willing to, to pay. Now, that being said, though, if you, didn't have a, if you didn't have a place to take that capital and reinvest it at a better rate, then I would question your decision as well. Thank you. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. That's a big question. John, if I sell this now, what am I going to do with my money anyway? Well, you know what? If you don't have a better opportunity, then you're probably better off not selling right now.
3: It's a big question for a broker to answer too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll always find another deal for you to buy. All right, Danny, I hope we, we accomplish the goal here. and We really sincerely appreciate the opportunity. Again, you have our contact information, so give
0: us a call, thanks. Gentlemen, this program was uh, was Great. excellent. Um, you guys had a couple of folders outside on the table, I believe, Jim. You think you yeah, put no, some I'll out there? All my folders. If anyone
2: has any questions, my cards in there, so feel free.
0: Please fill out Thank your you. surveys. Uh, excellent job, gentlemen. Thanks. To you. thanks. Thank you again.